Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Tristan. This is us winging it. I know. I was actually thinking, you know, I've heard some people um, come up with really clever ways to greet one another on podcasts. And like, then I recently heard some people do these really cool rapid fire questions for folks that they're interviewing that are like really fun and playful at the end. And I was like, maybe we need to incorporate something more fun and playful into our podcast. Yeah. Especially given the subject matter we usually work with. I love that. Like, I always think of... um, I mean, my favorite murder is such a popular podcast, but they always introduce each other. They're like, that's so-and-so and that's so So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll get on creative. The list. <laughs> yeah, I've exactly added to the list. So we were thinking, it's just the two of us today, listeners, and we were thinking about, um, you know, we had put out a call on social media a little while ago for um, questions and themes and topics that... Um, our listeners wanted to hear. And one of the first things that somebody said, if not the only thing, we're still growing our Instagram audience, let's be real, um, was, can you talk about having hard conversations, particularly with family members? And Lauren and I thought that could be fun to dig into together, um, especially since I'm myself today am facing what we'll just call a quote hard conversation um, in a few hours. And so uh, I thought that this would be helpful for me personally and also maybe for those of you who are listening. Um, yeah. Do you want to say anything to that, Lauren? Um, just that I am currently in the midst of trying to also have a lot of hard conversations and, and learning different ways to do it. Like I used to think I was really good at it. And I, I do think that the way I learned was helpful and the way that I advise and consult on is helpful, but I'm currently learning some new tools that I'm excited to share as we get into your situation. So I'll be curious if they resonate with you too. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Can you tell me what did you learn like originally about how to have hard conversations and where Um, did you learn it? So, well, 
I mean, hard conversations generally were something in my family we just didn't really do. Um, Or if we did, it was like uh, emotions spilling over because we weren't having the conversation that needed to be had. Um, So I learned how not to have hard conversations Uh for a long time. Uh, And then I would say um, probably when I was out of college, working on the Hill and the first couple gigs I had gigs, jobs, like full-time jobs I had there were for more moderate Democrats. And so there was a lot of like across the aisle, bipartisan work that happened. Um, I usually was such a junior staffer that I wasn't having the hardest of the hard conversations, but there was a skill in like staying grounded and self-regulating as we would like hammer out details of a piece of legislation, for example. Um, And usually it was on a, you know, a less uh, fraught topic, like the stuff I handled were like veterans health or like animal welfare, things that weren't always as controversial as stuff is now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that was like my first practice in a professional setting. And then as I got older, it became more about like, you know, I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I eventually started sharing my story about like trauma stuff. And that definitely required a skill of staying very, very grounded and, and learning how to take care of myself, even if someone else didn't have those skills to kind of stay in their own center. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It does. Um, Yeah. So a lot of it came back to yoga training and like trauma informed stuff around like how to stay, you know, feeling your feet on the floor, feeling grounded and rooted feeling your center, breathing, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I still think is useful. But I have found that if someone's causing harm, like you can stay as centered as you want, but it's probably not going to uh, shift them very much if that's the goal. Yeah. I'm, you know, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm like, wow, I definitely was not taught how to have them. Um, mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know that I even started learning until the last five years. And Like the first one that I can think of in my mind was, I took place last summer in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, a friend of mine, who's now no longer in my life, um, by choice, uh, was posting some uh, problematic stuff on Instagram. Um, This is a white cisgendered um, class privileged young woman who I think um, you know, the intention was in the right place. And, and, and I was trying to name that the impact was different than the intention of her words. And um, I was really heated about it because it was also like mildly problematic from a gendered perspective too. And like maybe mildly transphobic. And I was feeling that in my body as a trans non-binary person and someone who's like newly come to this understanding about my identity. So I'm like extra sensitive about it. And I tried to have a conversation with her on the phone and instead I just ended up yelling and like couldn't stop saying the same thing over and over and raising my voice and like trying to get her to come to an anti-racism training with me, which like that was not where she was and I couldn't meet her where she was. I was just too activated and I was walking the dog while having this conversation. So I was like doing the thing that I normally do when I think I have hard conversations, which is like move my body and feel my body moving while I'm having it. Um, Like I remember feeling my breath. I remember feeling my feet and I couldn't stop saying the same thing over and over and raising my voice. And it really shut her down. She could not hear me. 
Um, and, you know, not long after that, we decided to not be in each other's lives anymore. Um, and it was devastating, like, truly, and still is. Like, I can feel emotion coming up as I'm saying this. And I'm just, ever since that moment in which I then subsequently spiraled into shame, like, I should have done that differently. I should have done that better. It's my responsibility as a white person to interrupt these things skillfully and to say it in a way that like gets the person on the receiving end to receive it, right? And not shut them down. And then it was also hard for me to just like give myself grace that like this was the first time I tried that um, and with someone that was deeply and is deeply still important to me. Um, it was terrifying anyways. So all that to say that I feel like in the aftermath of that, now I'm really trying to pay attention to like, what are the techniques that we can bring? And I was talking with my partner last night in anticipation of the conversation that I'm going to have this afternoon, which I'll explain about in a minute. But my partner was saying that um, asking questions is a really good way of like getting the conversation going. Um, like, what did you mean by X, Y, and Z? Or what are your thoughts on X, Y, and Z? But I still feel like, and I can be pretty damn dogmatic, especially when it comes to things that I'm passionate about. And so I don't know yet. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how the conversation goes that I have this afternoon. I'm not sure if I can ask the questions, hear the answer, and then follow up with more questions and curiosity. I think I'm probably more inclined to be like, but don't you see how that's X, Y, and Z? And so all of that to say that the conversation I'm preparing to have this afternoon is with a white cis female studio owner who's local here. And um, I've taught for her teacher training program on trans inclusivity. And she's inviting me back for the next training. And yesterday she posted on social media that she's opening the studio to in-person classes. She also just posted something about how the studio values are very much rooted in the eight limbs of yoga and not just asana, and that all of the tenets and philosophical teachings of yoga are prioritized in that studio space. And to me, and I mean, Lauren, you can probably share a lot more on this because through your work with Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and like for those who don't know, Michelle and her recent um, skill in action mentees in the midst of COVID created an open letter to, to yoga studio owners and yoga practitioners, essentially calling folks in on the ways in which holding in-person indoor classes is not in, aligned with the practices of yoga. And so for me, I feel like I have to say this to this woman. Um, and I'm also aware that like I could lose a teaching opportunity and an income opportunity. Um, so I'm just like, I'm holding that and I'm like determined to say something. I no longer want to shy away from these things, but yeah, it's scary. What are you thinking, Lauren? Just that I, I want to back up for a second because the situation you described with this former friend of yours, I had almost an identical situation back in like summer, early fall of 2019. So maybe six months before you did. Mm -hmm. I'm also no longer friends with this person our last conversation ended with, I, I, I also raised my voice at the end because she just, I, I actually was pretty proud of myself. I stayed pretty calm most of it. Um, but I, then she started saying, like turning it around on me and saying I was being white savory, even though I was actually disrupting harm at the request of a person of color who had asked me to intervene. Um, and, and it just, she kind of like twisted everything around and I just lost my mind <laughs> a little bit. Understandably, especially yeah. if gaslighting is part of your history, right? Yeah. Yes, 
Um, and it ended with her hanging up on me and we literally have not spoken since. And this is someone I've lived with a couple of times. I've taken care of her babies. Like I loved her family. I was part of a yoga community that she ran. Like it was a big loss. Um, and, and it also resulted in her basically talking shit about me and the woman of color who I was trying to disrupt harm on behalf of at, again, being asked to do that. I wasn't doing it out of my own, you know, yeah. this will make me look good kind of thing. Um, and it, you know, Indy's a very small fitness slash yoga community. And I started, some, some of it got back to me and it was pretty fucked up. Wow. Um, yeah. So the first thing I would say is sometimes like certain friendships that we might think can hold that level of conflict, especially when it comes to whiteness, like depending on where someone is in their own work, they're not going to be ready to hear it no matter how well we say it. I also really struggled with beating myself up for not staying perfectly calm and Zen the whole time. Um, cause I felt like I failed. I, I had this exact same thought, like, this is my role as a white person, um, to do this perfectly. And that's also white supremacy culture, exactly. right? <laughs> there is no perfect. <laughs> I'm also a person. And part of it was a little bit of a mind fuck. Be- and the fact that I'm even talking about it this much tells me I probably still need to process it some more. Same. But <laughs> we started telling people I spoke to her violently, even mm. though I, like I definitely didn't. I did raise my voice, but that's not the same thing as as violence, violence or yeah. threatening or name calling or anything like that. I was just like, you're not basically. I I said you're not going to say that to me. That's not cool. Um. So anyway, <laughs> it's a it's a big big thing that you're holding, and so I wanted to just take a second and honor that and explain that I completely relate, and I'm sure there's at least one other person listening. who's like, yep. Oh fuck me too. Um, and yeah, as far as the studio, um, yeah. So the open letter that you referenced, we drafted it. I want to say last, I was still in Indianapolis. So it would have been last summer where basically, um, the, let's see, there are six of us mentees plus Michelle said holding in-person classes is not in alignment with Ahimsa period. Like that is not the practice of non-harming and non-violence, um, breathing together in an enclosed space. And we're not talking about an outdoor class, I'm assuming, right? right? We're talking about indoor. Yep. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, because of the systems that we're living in, um, governors, mayors, these folks, we can't really trust them to, uh, make public health policy that actually takes care of public health. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's ethical. Um, enslavement was legal, for example, and not to compare yeah. holding in-person yoga classes to enslavement, but I'm just saying like the, a lot of what Hitler did was legal. Right. Um, but all of that is to say that, uh, I think that your gut is right on, <laughs> this is not right. Um, and it's a very real thing for entrepreneurs to realize like, oh fuck, I might lose out on this opportunity and income and livelihood if I, say what I know has to be said. Um, the first thing I would wonder about is what your relationship is like with this person. Cause obviously you've worked together before, but is this someone you've already been in conversation or seen them being in conversation around justice and that kind of stuff? I know that this person claims to be dedicated on some level to justice. Okay. And I also know that there is some serious learning still to be done. When Mm -hmm. I was first approached to teach for the program, the language that was used in the invitation struck me as problematic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I remember even consulting with Michelle at the time and being like, 
Michelle, what do you do when you're invited to teach as part of a program, but the language used in the invitation is problematic or like this person is clearly not even truly like meaningfully engaged in this practice of, of dismantling their own biases or their own internalizations and being in conversation around it. And so Michelle was like, go with your gut. Like, mm-hmm. and also I know you're just starting as a facilitator. So like, I recognize that, you know, an invitation is significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did go with my gut and I, I, I like, I pivoted the the language. Like I said, when you say X, Y, and Z, I'm assuming you mean X, Y, mm-hmm. and X. <laughs> um, like I, I invited her to redirect the language and to reconsider the language she was using. And she did. And so then I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And the, I don't feel like I'm totally secure in this relationship, I guess is the okay. point. You know? Right. So it's not like a deep friendship or something. Nope. Um, cause another thing, another thing, like I've heard Charlie talk about very clearly and possibly on the podcast is that, you know, with Haven, her studio, another reason she's not holding in-person classes besides COVID being a risk generally is that it is killing more black and brown people than exactly. any other group. It's disproportionate. And especially given that that's who she serves and who she shows up for, it's just not in alignment. And I would say anybody, this was part of the letter, like anybody who, claims to care or says black lives matter on their social media feed like it's it's not in alignment with that to start holding in-person classes even if the law says you can yep so um and by the way I want to be very clear like I have not been COVID perfect like there is a coffee shop I go to occasionally I've sat outside I've also sat inside um like I am also in the messiness of figuring out what my personal line is and what feels in integrity for me and who I'm potentially exposing. Obviously I'm wearing a mask, but so I just want to say this is nuanced and messy, but I do think when it comes to yoga and a yoga studio, there's some big clarity. Yeah. And I'm thinking too about the way our privilege as white people can literally impede our ability to see beyond ourselves. Right. And the fact that, sure, okay, so let's say you open your studio and you limit it to five people and Mm -hmm. those five people come in and they wear masks for their hour long Mm -hmm. class and they stay distanced and then they leave. But who are those five people in relationship with? Or like when we go to the grocery store, when we are exposing potentially people who are more vulnerable, as we're saying, like, then it's beyond. And I mean, this is part of my frustration with like any exercise fitness space being open in COVID is like, I'm, and now I'm going to get catty. I'm sorry that you can't go to your hour long exercise class, people like do it from home. Like it's not okay. And I'm not trying to shame you. If you listening, you know, we're all learning as Lauren is saying, and this is messy and it's hard and challenging. And I know that. Well, and uh, there's something particularly that brings up a feeling of, um, disgust and like criticalness, like a very critical parent side of me comes up because I'm like, okay, you're doing this for your health, but what about basically our well-being is bound in each other. So how are you impacting the collective well-being? And even me like making the calculation to go to this coffee shop occasionally, it's like, is my mental health of getting out of the house in order to focus on this project for an hour or two and to have like you know, socially distant, very minor interactions with the baristas who I love, right? Like this is a small business that I love supporting. Like, 
weighing that against who am I potentially exposing that like, so basically I'm saying I get it and it's messy and there's not a perfect answer, but I do think that, um, yeah, again, like coming back to it being a yoga studio and especially one that says the eight limbs and not just asana and the poses are important to them. Ahimsa is one of those limbs. And isn't it like, is it this first one, second one? I don't know. It's been a while. Since well, I've... it's, I mean, it's not one of the limbs. It's one of oh, the yamas and niyamas, oh, right? which you. is, which are two of the limbs. Okay. Thank right. You. Or one of the limbs are the yamas and niyamas two limbs or one limb. They're two limbs. They're two limbs. Great. There we go. I trained in 2013. It's been a while. <laughs> I mean, same. It's also been a while. I'm also like, I will name like, this is not our lineage. We are learners yes. in the practice of yoga. <laughs> um, yeah. We need Charlie sometimes. Cause she's such a like, forever student of yoga. Whereas I'm like, I taught for a while and now I dabble. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that that is a very fair and important thing to bring up. And I, I also wonder if you've thought for yourself, like if she doesn't change that policy, do you still want to do that work? I'm shaking my head now. I don't think I want to be affiliated with a studio that is, for lack of a better phrase, potentially causing harm. Right. right? And of course, I'm sure their intentions are good, right? They probably want to bring community together. People are fucking lonely. Yep. I trust me, y'all. I miss practicing in a studio. (laughs) Oh my God. So much part of your life. Right. Um, But one of the tools I learned recently around, it's basically boundaries. It's called the three C's. Mm. Um, And I have to give credit to Andrea Arlington, who's, she's basically a recovery coach and a family systems counselor. I might be messing that up, but I'll make sure that we link to her. Let me write this down so I don't forget. Um, But she was on her daughter's podcast, Recovering from Reality, and they were talking about basically how to set and maintain boundaries in your family, but I think it applies in a lot of places. So the first C is confirm where you're basically affirming the other person, no matter how poorly they're behaving, they actually have every right to do what they're doing. Like, cause boundaries are for us to keep ourselves safe. They're not for us to control other people. Right. Um, and that one is really hard to me because I'm like, well, you don't actually have the right to be an asshole or to potentially hurt people, but actually like all of us can make choices. Um, and so by saying that, like you could say something to her, like you have every right as a studio owner to make this decision. It's legal. It sounds like you're coming from a good place. Um, and then you can, I think the second C is clarify. You can say something like, what I'm understanding is that you're doing this for X, Y, Z. Is that true? And based on, you know, your body language and the conversation, I can tell that this is really meaningful to you. Am I getting that right? And then the last one is, I think it's contract, like basically like your boundaries. So it's you saying, so again, you have every right to do this. I've clarified now that you feel X, Y, Z about it. However, (laughs) um, if this is what you decide to move forward with, then I can't be part of your yoga teacher training. Because for me, this is a line of integrity. Isn't that hard though when you're upset? It's so hard. I'm also like feeling so much move through my body. And I think part of what I'm feeling is uh, trauma activation related to my past long-term relationship that was manipulative Mm. and gaslighty. And Mm. like the fact that we, anytime I tried to have a conversation with this person in which our viewpoints didn't match, it turned into a a yelling, screaming match. Mm -hmm. So much so that there were moments where I was so confused over what I thought or what I believed and what I didn't and what was 
right to me and what wasn't right to me. Like my, my ups and downs got all backwards. Right. And there were times where I was like on the verge of self-harm because I was so confused by what my brain was experiencing and what my body was experiencing. And so I'm realizing like, no wonder a, I've tried to avoid arguments. Let's just Uh call them that or difficult conversations at all costs. And B, no wonder I get, um, like I, I either shut down or get bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking back to, to a conversation I had. So this was um, pre-COVID. It must have been like around the time that you were going through that with your previous friend. Like it was like December, 2019, I think. And I was at a restaurant with a friend, another white person. And somehow we got onto the topic of racism or I think we were talking about racism and she said, well, to play devil's advocate. And I, obviously I don't remember what was said after that um, because I just like, I got really fiery and I was like, you can't do that. And I started raising my voice in a restaurant. And then next thing you know, I was hysterically crying Yeah, because suddenly I felt like, I felt like it, it was, it wasn't even about her. It was about my ex and the experiences that I had had in that relationship, which mm-hmm. by the way, went on for almost 10 years. So they're like a very core part of my adult relationship experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just realizing like, no wonder I either get bigger and yell or shut down and cry and yeah. want to turn it off. Um, yeah. Either way you're adapting and trying to keep yourself safe. Yes. And your brain, like, I don't know if it would be your reptilian brain, whatever. I think it is, system, right? yeah. Some part of your brain that's trying to keep you alive is equating. It doesn't understand that time has passed and that you're no longer in that situation. Like that's, that's trauma 101. So, and I think that's also why I shut down. Um, and it's so interesting that you named the being on the verge of self-harm thing, because when my ex was gaslighting me and it it was a different situation, but similar thing though, where if we got in an argument, like one time there was this guy selling racist, like figurines, like those mammy um Uh like porcelain things on the street in like the fucking west village i mean this is not a neighborhood where i thought i would ever see that kind of thing i kind of lost my shit on him at first i was like who are you who's making this money this is racist did you know this is racist and my ex just like backed away slowly and then gave me such a fucking hard time when we got back in our apartment and um i just lost my mind i i like i was yelling this was toward the end of our relationship and him just like continuing to like tell me I was wrong when I knew I wasn't wrong. Maybe I could have handled it better, but I remember feeling a desire to just not be in my body anymore. And I think that like for a human to get to that point, you have to feel such dissonance and such like, like falling apartness to get there. So yeah, that's very fucked up. And I'm so sorry that you went through that and that that was his behavior. Like that's so not okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean, a therapist right now. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I was actually looking at um, grad programs this morning. I'm like, maybe I need to become a counselor because I, I would like to be more skilled in having hard conversations and understanding the brain chemistry that goes on. Because what I know about like this three C's practice, for example, is it does, it takes you out of the fight or flight response. It kind of right. brings you into your prefrontal cortex because you have to do that in order to go through that process. Um, another thing like with the contract one, the last one, I mean, you can say, um, you know, again, you're entitled to move forward with this, with, um, the in-person classes, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel comfortable working with and being affiliated with the studio doing that. What do you think about, 
um, having a bigger conversation with me or hiring Michelle to talk through this, like that could be, you know, you can offer up an option. Another thing, Andrea and, um, why can't I remember her daughter's name? This is going to drive me crazy. Alexis, (laughs) Alexis Haynes. We're saying, um, is you say, what do you think about blah, 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 mm-hmm. instead of what do you feel? Because think also pulls them into their prefrontal cortex in the conversation. And this also, by the way, is not, you, you can do this even if someone's like losing their shit on you. Like part of the contract piece can be like, or clarify by your body language and the fact that you're screaming at me, which you're entitled to do because you're a human who can make choices. I'm sensing you're upset. If this continues, I'm going to exit. And then yep. let me know when you're ready to X, Y, Z. I don't anticipate this yoga studio owner losing. No, I don't either. But I'm also thinking about um, two, quote, hard conversations I've had recently. So I'm like, okay, I am having them, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. let me acknowledge that, right? I mean, plus, by the way, being on this podcast sometimes involves hard I conversations. We do this all the time. <laughs> but I was just thinking, I just had a conversation last week with my therapist where I was like, are we still good together? Like, is this, like, I'm not feeling like something, I feel like I have a need that isn't being met in my therapy. Mm. And so I brought it up and had that conversation with her. That was not easy. Like, it was quite uncomfortable. I wasn't even sure what the need was. I wasn't even sure what was missing. I just felt like something's not right. Um, And then she shared with me some like stuff that was going on with her that might be interfering with her capacity to hold something for me. And it was like, okay, this is, that was a hard conversation. And we did it so well. I mean, in part, cause it's my therapist and like, we've already developed and cultivated that kind of relationship. Like, right. you know, you can't guarantee safety, but that feels like a safe space for me. And I know that, and I trust her and feel that with her. On the other hand, I just had one with my mother not just this was now a couple months ago, um, where I said, I need you to, I need you to do better at using my pronouns. And she pushed back and then gaslit me. Mm. Um, I don't think my mom listens to this podcast, but if for some reason you're listening, mom, like, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm going to talk about this. She gaslit me several times and I felt it happening. And I said, if you're going to continue to say things like that, I'm going to hang up. And then she Mm. said something like that again. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hang up now. And I hung up and I felt so centered. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it really like dysregulated me in, in, you know, in a significant way. Was I upset? Sure. But like, I also was able to let it go really quickly because I knew where I stood and I stood in my center. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just, I guess I'm saying all of that to say like, wow, okay, I am having a lot of hard conversations. I'm not shying away from them. It depends on who they're with, right? Um, Like that has a big, uh, big impact on how they go and how I feel in them and my ability to stay with them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you're reminding me too of um, the fact that like, we don't have to be having every single hard conversation mm-hmm. at the same time. And we're not always the right person to have the conversation, like the conversation that's eventually going to actually transform that person. This is something my partner has been saying about my family, for instance, and, and maybe this is the case with you and your mom, but like sometimes people in like intimate relationships with us, whether it's family, partners, friends, whatever, it might be harder for them to hear us versus someone who's teaching a course or someone they're less 
connected to, like sometimes that can feel less threatening and, you know, those other people might be more regulated in the conversation than we will be. Like I, I don't lose my shit on that many people, but I lose my shit on my family. Yeah, um, <laughs> me too. Yeah, and because there, it's there's so much old stuff that it's like a minefield that you're walking through of old wounds that are just waiting to burst back open, especially in families where healing hasn't happened in those relationships. Like even if one person, like yourself, has gotten into therapy, that doesn't mean that the healing's happening on her side too. This is very true. Yeah. yeah, and good for you for having that boundary. Like if you continue to say this, I'm going to go, and that's one way of actually leaving the door open to having any sort of relationship in the future if she does come around. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. That's my practice right now too. I'm not speaking with my immediate family, which really makes me sad. And I know that if I do, more harm is just going to keep happening, yeah. and then I'm not going to be able to be in relationship with them. Yeah. So, um, but this, yeah, the, and and I don't know that it's that different when it comes to these professional situations, like the one you're describing, because, I mean, even if you don't ever work for this person or with this person, um there might still be an opportunity for the relationship to stay there because you're going to stay grounded and what you need to stay in your values. Yeah. So that in theory is like leaving a door open for her to eventually come around and see things a little differently. Um, even though you're not setting the boundary in order to make her do that. Right. Like an ultimatum. Like if you yeah. don't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I'm not comfortable being affiliated with the studio, having in-person classes. Here are the reasons. You could share the letter with her and be like, this is something I've thought, you know, make it clear. I've thought a lot about this and I know it's messy. You can keep naming, like, I know this isn't black and white. um, And this is where I've landed for these reasons. And um, if, and yeah, like, like I mentioned before, you could open the door and say, if you want to have some consulting sessions with me or with Michelle, this is something we talk to folks in yoga about all the time. Cause a lot of people are struggling with this. I know. Yeah. And it sucks too, because I I keep thinking on a systemic level, we don't have like studios wouldn't even be in the position to make these decisions. Places like my coffee shop wouldn't even be in the position to have to decide whether or not to stay open if there was actual government support. When it comes to funding the military or funding these massive tax breaks for very wealthy people, we seem to find the money in our budget. But when it comes to COVID relief, we are fucking it up at every turn. And, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to get better now that the power structures are a little bit different in terms of who's in charge, but, um, we shouldn't even be having to make these decisions. It's absolutely true. Um, Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I'm wondering, oh, sorry. No, I'm just, I'm wondering if we want to talk a bit about in like our remaining time on this, uh, about having, about interrupting racism specifically Mm -hmm. and, and how we might explore that as white people, whether that's, you know, with people we know, with people we don't know, with family members, like we're talking about, which is like extra hard or even close friends, it can be really hard. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, what I just want to say that one of the things I'm sitting with a lot is, is like, what does it mean to do that if you don't have a relationship with the person you're interrupting? Yeah. And like, I, at this point, I'm saying I'm not going to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, go around social media and comment on people when I'd have no relationship with them and say like, this is racist. Did you know why? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm like, maybe that is something that we should be doing, or maybe some people are adept at doing that and I'm just opting out. Right. Um, but I will mm-hmm. say that, you know, 
back to like the family thread, I have had a lot of these conversations with my father uh, about racism, um, about our roles in perpetuating it um, or upholding it, uh, and at, at least historically speaking as white people, um, and about benefiting. Uh, and I feel like it's interesting, one of the things that he's offered in those conversations is, um, which is mildly uh, gaslighting too, like there's a degree to which he's kind of tone policed me. And he said mm. that when I'm having those conversations with him, um, I get really heated and fiery and uh, the message could be received better, you know, again, back to this thing I've already said, if like you were less fiery, that's essentially what he said to me. And on the one hand, he's an educator. And, and so I know that, and he's, he's speaking to me knowing that I am also an educator. And so on the one, one hand, it feels like smart mentorship or guidance. Um, mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it does feel like tone policing and that mm -hmm. like, I don't know, when it comes to racism, like, should we be keeping our cool? You know what I mean? As white people specifically? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer. I would be really curious. There are a few people I want to ask this question to as we continue to have guests on the podcast. Cause I know from a maybe neurochemical perspective is the right word that people, sh first of all, we hear maybe 14% of what someone else is saying when we're calm the second we're heated, we, it's like 3% or something mm -hmm. ridiculously low. So I know scientifically that our brains cannot process information as well when it's coming from someone who's upset. Right. That's not to say that we should ever tone police someone when they're naming that harm has happened. Like right. something my family said for a long time was, well, we couldn't really hear you when you were saying we all needed therapy because you were yelling. But I was like, I'm the one who was sexually abused as a child. Like, why should I have to stay calm in order for you to know what to do? Like, so that, that was like fucked up. Right. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't real that because of where they were in their own healing, which wasn't very far, I would say that they, they literally couldn't hear me. Um, and again, I'm not saying that people of color <laughs> or any marginalized group needs to be calm when they say something is wrong. Cause that's centering, the harm doers that's centering um, privilege that's centering whiteness if we're talking about racism. Um, so I don't know the answer, but when it comes to like white folks disrupting other white folks, I'm sure there's some skill in that. And I, I find myself leaning on those self-regulation tools. Like if Charlie and I are talking to a client about some harm that's happened, or if um, we're teaching our course and a white person asks a question that might cause harm in even the asking of the question. Um, but that's also me like, being in relationship with that person and being a skilled facilitator. Um, so all that is to say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer. I do know that some people have different temperaments. Yeah. Um, I would say my boyfriend is one of them. He's really good at like dealing with people when they're uh, maybe being problematic and upset and he can kind of disrupt it, but not get pulled out of his own center. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a role for white cis men. I don't know. Um, I know for me, I kind of just lose my temper pretty quickly though. Yeah. Just out in the wild. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I'm reflecting on like, you know, when I came out to my father as non-binary, I, that conversation, I was very dysregulated. It required, a, it didn't require, but it prompted 
a lot of emotional labor on my part. You know, one of the things that I've been reflecting on is like coming out as queer in terms of orientation feels much, quote, easier in many ways, because coming out as non-binary, you have to explain gender as a construct. You have to explain what trans means. You have to explain what non-binary means. You have to like, there's so many different things you have to explain, um, or rather I had to explain or chose to explain or was met with explaining and you know, it was a very hard conversation. And I, at one point I said, like, you know, I was really scared to have this conversation with you. And, and, and I definitely got heated at different times in it um, and activated and defensive. Um, and I remember afterwards being like, I just had to stare at a wall for a while. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, here I am teaching these things publicly, signing up for it, you know, holding workshops, teaching trainings, doing one-on-one -on -one consulting coaching around trans inclusivity. And though I get excited and nervous at times, I don't get triggered in those mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. And I'm reflecting on like something we've talked about a lot throughout some of these episodes. And I'm thinking specifically with Daje, like the consent piece. Yeah. And the fact that I'm signing up to be there. And I often say when I start the, the, the workshop space or the, the learning space, I say like, there are no bad questions because I am signing up to be here and I want to hear all the questions so that I can speak to them. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, in conversation with my mother, in conversations with my father, or let's say I were talking to a friend, there are bad questions. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like there are questions I don't want them to ask. There are questions that are actually transphobic, you know, mm -hmm. um, that are causing harm when you ask them. Like you were saying about like somebody asking a question about racism and just asking the question could potentially be causing harm in the space. It's such mm -hmm. an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm, there's no real like point or conclusion that I'm trying to get to. I'm just like noticing the difference between, um, what kinds of conversations we're having with whom, the consent piece, and, and when I get triggered um, or activated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that I, I kind of want to go back and listen to the episode with Daje because there was so much share there that I'm like needing yeah. right now. But um, yeah, it, it sounds like some of it comes down to just agency and the context. Yes. Right? Like I, I think if I'm if I'm having a great week, I might be in a totally different space to be able to have some of these conversations. And maybe I will comment on some random Instagram post to be like, Hey, yeah. Did you know? Yeah. I just want a flag for you. But if I'm not like, then I'm not, I, I think it, I think about um, R dubs for ours exercise where you'd think about what resources you have in the moment, what relationships, what, um, what are the other ones? roles, responsibilities, like all of that shifts depending on what you have in your toolbox yeah. at any given moment. Um, so I don't think that there's a perfect, I want like a perfect answer. That's, I feel like I, know. I say that all the time. I mean, I do too. I don't, I don't know that I want the perfect answer, but I want, I want a how-to manual. Yes. Like I want someone to be like step one, step two. And I've been wanting that for years and like yeah. embracing the fact that there isn't one. Uh, yeah. And I still want it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely some do's and don'ts. Like a do is evaluate that relationship with that person. I think if you're centering relationship, right. which goes both ways, that's also how you're being treated in that situation. Um, th that'll inform how you approach a certain person. I mean, there are some types of harm. Like it is perfectly appropriate to be like, that's racist. You need to sit down or that's 
that's not okay here. Like yep. if someone is, or, or if there's like something violent happening, like there's, there are different ways to disrupt. If it's like microaggressions or a problematic post and you, and you know, the person, like there's a totally different approach there too. I'm not going to go screaming. That's racist at every single thing. Um, Cause that's not necessarily going to get the result that I want, even if yeah. it's true. Yeah. I don't know. I think about that line from um, God, what's that movie? Oh, the big Lebowski where uh, he's talking to John Goodman and it's like, you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's me a lot of the time. So I'm trying to learn how to, <laughs> but sometimes it's okay. I think some people hire me because I know how to just be very direct and like, this is what you do. This is what you don't do in this situation. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's a skill. Yeah. I feel like this whole episode could just be that little shrug emoji. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite emojis i use oh it so often me too it's always in my like top whatever me too the top made. used yeah um well is there anything else on this yoga studio owner situation that you'd want to talk through well, i mean i think thanks for asking i think i'm just gonna dive in um yeah i, I do want to like you know, I'm going to try to be, I mean, I'm going to go for a walk before I have it, which will be helpful. And, and I'm going to try to bring some curiosity, um, mm-hmm. while also like naming the, the disconnect that I see, you know, mm-hmm. like I personally don't see a way that we can say we practice the values of yoga and then open the studio for in-person indoor classes with, with no window ventilation, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I don't see, you know, talk about capitalism, right? Like I, to me, that's what this is. Um, and if totally. we're, like you said, claim, and I, this is not what I'm going to say to the studio owner, but I'm just thinking it through. If we are claiming to stand for black lives, then we also have to question capitalist values because capitalist values are not <laughs> standing for black lives. Yeah. Right? They, they, they're all intertwined and they uphold each other. White yeah. supremacy and capitalism. Yeah. They reinforce each other. And like this studio just literally hosted a social justice trauma yoga workshop this Ooh. weekend. And like, I just think there's some hypocrisy going on here that again, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like we miss it. And I also just, you know, this is actually, this is prompting me to share this one other thing, which is when I started my business, um, I got hooked up with a graphic design gig supporting a Pacific Northwest yoga conference that I won't name. And um, the woman running the conference had had some drama like the previous year or previous two years in which I believe a woman of South Asian descent was like almost removed from a stage at the conference. Mm -hmm. It was a big ordeal. And, and so when I got hooked up with the conference, I was just like, I was new to dismantling oppression work or whatever Mm -hmm. we want to call it. And so, and I was a fledgling entrepreneur who like really wanted this opportunity it wasn't even paid by the way I was doing it in exchange for a free pass to the conference, which I thought would be good networking. I thought the whole thing would be good networking and good experience. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I'm like rolling my eyes. And um, so I just like in good faith was like, 
I'm going to, I'm going to assume that this woman is doing better and that she's addressed that harm that was caused when that woman was removed from the stage um, and how problematic that was. And I'm going to take all of this and just assume that we're on the same page. And then I like did the graphic design work. And as we got closer and closer to the conference, a friend of mine had a conversation with this conference leader in which my friend said, I don't see any South Asian teachers in your lineup. Ooh. I bear, I don't even know if I, I, we don't even, I don't remember if there were even any people of color in the lineup. And, wow. you know, this was only three years ago, but I didn't see it. Like my friend had to see it and name it for me. And then I was like, oh shit, you're right. Mm -hmm. And if I'm trying to like get onto this social justice journey as I claim to be, then like I can't in good faith sign up to go to this conference and support this conference and then be like, yes, social justice. And so in the end, I emailed the conference person and I said, I wasn't going to come. Um, and I asked her to give my spot as a scholarship to somebody of color. I don't know that she actually did. I did not name for her why I wasn't coming. I just mm. backed out. And I feel like that's the other thing that I'm inclined to do is to just politely back out and not name the reason why, even though naming the reason why is the interruption, right? Yeah. And so I'm just reflecting on that because I'm reflecting on that both because um, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, like this, this disconnect that I have myself have experienced where like I want something but my values, but I don't even see that it's not aligned with my values because I want it so bad. And I'm thinking, okay, in this moment, maybe because I know what that's like in my body, I can bring that compassionate human perspective to this conversation with the studio owner Mm -hmm. and be like, look, I've been here. Like, I'm guessing you're pressed for money. You know, I'm guessing your business is in jeopardy Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry. And also. And maybe there's some like business structure consulting that can happen. Like I, right. that's what I'm wondering is like, what need is she trying to meet here? And like, how, how, how can you or somebody else you might connect her with be helpful for solving that puzzle that she's yeah. trying to solve, but in a way that's causing harm at the moment. Right. Um, yeah. That's a good story. I'm, yeah, I, I'm glad I got to share it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I got to share it because it, I like I, I think I forgot about it quickly after it all happened. Like yeah. I just like put it in a box and put it away. And then recently it's come back up for me in my memory. Like, oh yeah, that was a big fuck up, Tristan. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't in alignment with what I hold to be true and what I care about. I would almost, I would gently push back on even like calling it a fuck up though. Cause you were doing your best with what you knew at the time. I'm not saying it was like perfect. True. But, but like when we, like I willfully ignored, you know? And I remember even another friend saying to me, like, I'm surprised you're partnering with them considering their history. And I was like, yeah, it's complicated. I'm not sure about it myself. But then I just like kept moving forward, you know, because I was so desperate to get my business up and running. And I was so desperate to make connections with other yoga teachers and mm-hmm. so scared. I mean, really, yeah. that's what it came down to, right? Yeah. Well, and that's that's capitalism, like working its yep. way through us too. It's this idea, like Monica touched on this too, the the scarcity thing that yes. we have to be this like dog paddly energy in order to get our needs met. And again, that's, that's a function of the system that we live in. And yeah. like, the fact that we don't have systems that take care of everybody. So 
Yeah. I would encourage you to be gentle with yourself. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) If you've been listening to this show for an extended period of time, you know that that is hard for me and a practice. Yesterday, my therapist literally was like, Lauren, you have so much integrity, but you are so hard on yourself. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which can serve as a good thing. I think sometimes it means that I'm pretty careful, but um, yeah, I, I also think that we do our best with what we know at the time. And sometimes our best is still pretty fucked up. Yeah. 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 Mm. Oh, well, I hope conversation. I hope this helps somebody. We're like, we don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Talk to you later. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be really curious if folks want to DM us or, um, you know, comment on posts with what they're taking away from this in general. I I would really wonder like what conversations are coming up right now for them. Yeah. Or if you're listening and you want to screenshot it and post a stories and tag us, we love that too. Yeah. We would love that. And, and I think that you know, I know that money has been like a thread we've woven throughout many mm-hmm. episodes. I want, I'm wondering right now how we can tie this thread into more episodes too, you know? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Cause how many hard conversations have both of us had about money? <laughs> yes. That too. Talk about a whole other hard conversation. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for being so generous with your sharing. Likewise. I, thank you for like, I feel like you did a lot of space holding in this conversation. I don't know if that's oh true. My gosh. Okay. Well, I, I feel like I kept being like, well, here's the thing about me that's similar to this. Let me talk about myself. No, no. You and I just also want to say while we're still recording so that everybody can hear it and, and maybe echo, I think you would make a great counselor if that was something oh. you wanted to pursue. I think you already bring that like present curious listening and you're so like compassionate and kind and gentle when you offer something. So I just, oh. you know, you're already doing it on some level. At least that's what I see. So if you wanted to pursue that program, I'm in full support. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Cause I, I, I never want to cause harm as a coach. Like I know what my line is. Like if someone's dealing with trauma and they're not like a friend I'm listening to, I'm like, you need to go seek someone right. who's gotten, like gotten a master's in this, you know, but um, yeah, it's definitely coming up. I've also been looking at writing programs. Maybe mm. there's some combo. I don't know. The grad school thing is perpetually puzzling to me. But. Great. Another topic for another time. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. All the Fuck In is independently produced by your hosts, Tristan Katz and Lauren Roberts. To help us keep bringing you new episodes on all things social justice and entrepreneurship, you can donate over on our website at alltfnpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. Your donation supports original content that promotes social justice and individual and collective change. A portion of our proceeds benefits a radical organization of our choosing each month. Any amount is helpful and greatly appreciated. Death is a penalty.